Once more, we go to the word through the word, but before we do that, we go to the Lord. God and Heavenly Father, again, we pray that your spirit may be at work in us so that we might respond to Christ and to the fatherly care we have in him and the spirit's power at work within. We pray, Father, that your word may work to us in us to that end. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be picking up again our reading out of the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, and today we're going to be reading through to verse, actually verse 2 of chapter 5, that all kind of works itself together, so there's actually a, actually a double therefore there, because I mentioned about how we were looking at passages that are speaking with a therefore in it, which is dealing with some practical implications, or the so what to the what, as we might say. And we're looking at various passages like that. Last week we looked at Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, and there we were reminded about the calling to put off what's old, put on what's new, and to do so in, in the harmony that we've received in Christ. And we speak more about that harmony here uh, as we read from these verses that speak to us about being reflections of God as Christians in speech and in attitude and in action. So let's take a look at these verses here then uh, in the uh, aftermath of what we just heard about being renewed in the spirit of our minds after the likeness of God. We read in verse 25, Therefore, having but put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Excuse me, uh, yes, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank God for this portion of his word that we could read. May it be a blessing to our hearts tonight, or today, I should say. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the reasons that we're called to have respect for human life in a way that's different from other life forms is that every human being is made in the image of God. That's why in general we're supposed to live like that in the world towards others. But we also realize as Christians that we wouldn't take that approach at all 
if we weren't renewed ourselves, created in Christ Jesus, regenerated, born again to a new life, not as the perverted image bearers of God that we would otherwise be, but in the way the Apostle Paul says to us, as those created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And it's because of that renewal unto the image of God that we then receive these therefores that come into play in Ephesians 4.25 to chapter 5, verse 2. Being renewed after the likeness of God, you see, has its consequences. It's directives, it's practical imperatives, you know, commands that way. We're, what we are renewed unto image bearers of God in Christ is what we are to be in action, in thought, word, and deed, which is really the points here, right? In speech and attitude and action. It's befitting. You see, it's appropriate. It makes sense. This follows. And so we want to take a look at how this shows itself in our passage this morning as we continue this Therefore series that speaks to us about some of the practical consequences of Christian teachings in light of God's grace to us in Christ. As Christians, we're called to reflect God in speech, attitude, and action and we start this morning looking at the calling to reflect God as Christians in speech. Because that's how our passage starts. The passage begins by telling us to put on falsehood and in doing so to speak the truth. Now that, just, that just speaks to what he said earlier, right, about how we're putting off what's old, putting on what's new. We said that last week too, that it's a blessing for us as God's people to be able to look at every day as a new day, not just because the sun came up, but because it's a new day to be carrying out the Christian life in a renewed manner. Putting off what's old, putting on what's new. It's a fresh day, not just then, you know, with the sun coming up, but it's a fresh day spiritually for us as well. And so here too. You put off what's false and speak the truth to our neighbor since we are members of one another. Which in this case, given what we hear in Ephesians 5 verse 30, it means that we're members of one body. The church of Jesus Christ. The apostle certainly makes it clear that falsehood does not befit the new image of God's people in Christ who are called to reflect God because it was the truth of the gospel that renewed them by the Spirit, has connected them in Christ, and it's truth that's going to build those bonds closer, keep them together, keep them harmonious. Right? There's this oneness we have with God who, who calls all things under his subservience. And that harmony, that oneness, is something that needs to be shown by those who renew or who are renewed in him, who are imitators of him. And this is one of the ways it happens. 
The Apostle calls us to reflect the gospel truth as we speak. When the Apostle is speaking to us about the neighbor, in this case he's speaking to our fellow believer. Not that the truth should be away from our lips when we're speaking to unbelievers, but he's making the point that we have a special bond with believers because we share the truth and we share Christ. See, we sang about that, right? That we would be one in doctrine, truth, and charity, love. We share one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father because of the gospel truth at work in our lives, which we have all come to believe, says the Apostle. So yes, falsehood is simply not what fits those who are reflections of God in Christ, and certainly not as those who are members of the same body because of the truth that holds them together. Why else should we not hide the truth but speak the truth? Well, hiding the truth breeds suspicion and unrest and disharmony because falsehood breaks down trust and relationships. And it does the exact opposite of what the truth does because the truth binds us together. Falsehood causes confusion or exasperation. Hiding the truth, of course, can eat you up inside. But hiding the truth or not speaking it can lead to some of the very things that the Apostle said should not be our attitude, of which we'll speak in a moment. But let's take this principle to real life a moment, shall we? Uh, we always appreciate that, right? I, I, I use this example a lot when we're dealing in uh, premarital classes, and so people who have been in that class with me know about this. If, if this is the way that we should be acting as fellow members, it would especially be so for us as Christian spouses, where we have an even more intimate relationship. So let's say that you come home and you've had some things that have bothered you at work or wherever it was, and, and your spouse sees on your face that something isn't quite right, and she knows you or he knows you. And then they ask you how things are, and you say they're fine, and they're not. They can tell. Well, that right away is going to set up a tense tone, isn't it? There's that little wedge of falsehood has found its way in, and, and there's unrest, and, and there may even be suspicion. So what in the world is happening? What's going on? I know things aren't right. I know things aren't fine. One should be able to speak openly with those who are close to us in faith, right? When you have a real Christian friend, you, you know that, that that's someone with whom you can share things openly. Sooner rather than later, one should be open about these things. If things are not fine, why say they are? 
At least let that person know that you'll tell them about it in due time, but to say that things are fine when they're not isn't helpful. Speaking the truth is important as well when we're trying to resolve issues. The scripture tells us that we are not only to speak the truth, but to do so in love and to do so in such a way that is edifying and helpful to the one to whom we're speaking, not unwholesomely. So when we're trying to, to keep our harmony in Christ in mind, it's important how we present the truth and that we present the truth. We don't do but anybody any favor, for instance, when we exaggerate or we hyperbolize as we seek to resolve an issue. If you've got an issue with somebody and you say you always do that and you never do that, or when we resort to communicating in an abusive way. I say this more often, but it's you go to the point of saying, well, if you can't beat them, you beat them up. Now, you might not beat them up physically, but you'll beat them up verbally. You can't win the argument, and that's what's most important, not resolution, it's winning the argument. That's what's most important. So we'll beat the person into submission to whom we're communicating. We'll yell at them. Which is what clamor's about. Or we call them a name. We say, you're just a jerk. Or you're an idiot. Or our language even gets foul. And often you hear that approach in the world, don't you? When people can't win an argument, they don't, they don't stick with what's in front of them. They don't, they don't address their, the issue. They don't ground their argument. They, they resort to, to volume, to verbal abuse. You're a bigot. You're old-fashioned. You're a Nazi in sheep's clothing. You hate all women. You're a hate monger. You're intolerant. Instead of seeking to resolve an issue, we may not even deal with the matter directly. We, we go public. Or we gossip about it. And we speak falsely about people because we perceive that we have the truth and they don't. Or we maliciously want to prop up ourselves as champions of righteousness by throwing others under the bus with exaggerations or hyperbole or, or falsehood or outright lies. And we're not growing closer that way. We're, we're just growing farther apart. And we're not sticking to the issue. And, and, and that's, that's not speaking the truth. And that's not the approach that's to be taken by Christians who are called to reflect the God of truth. Christ, to reflect the gospel truth and to remember, especially as they speak to fellow believers, that they have a calling to speak truthfully, truthfully for the sake of their oneness in Christ and in their calling to grow tighter together according to truth and not farther apart because of falsehood. 
There's also a call that's related to speech to which Christians are called to reflect, and that's in attitude. It starts when the Apostle says that in our anger we are not to sin. Now, not all anger is bad. No doubt the Apostle says later that we're supposed to get rid of all anger. But when he speaks of that there, he's speaking in terms of anger that will lead to sin. Because God gets angry, but he never sins in his anger. Jesus Christ was angry at times, but he never sinned in his anger either. A person is not to make anger a way of life. That when they see you, it's like, I'm walking on eggshells. I'm going to have to watch every word that I say. Because you never know when that person is just going to flare up. Anger is not to fester or get the better of us. It's not to linger and it's not to be given as an excuse for us to sin. Well, I did this and that because that's because I was so mad. I couldn't help myself. It's wrong for me to do it, but I was mad. Well, that's not justification. Imagine what all we could do if we could just use that excuse that we were mad. And, and that's the justification. How much sin is carried out and how much disharmony arises because people are mad. How many words get said that later are regretted because we were angry and we couldn't control it? In our anger, we can sin by, by not getting our facts straight. I, I use this in, in uh, classes too, right? We say, well, you, there's a crash in the other room and, and uh, our pretty vase has been uh, bashed, okay? Or whatever it is that you think that's fragile, that's also fancy. And it happens to be that our children are in the room when that vase was broken. And we're so angry that, that we might jump to conclusions without seeking the truth. Maybe the dog came by and, and we don't see the dog anymore. But we, we want to lash out instead of backing off and finding out what the truth is. Can it wait until the truth is known? We... We might find ourselves calming down at the same time. We could find ourselves easily doing something sinfully that we will regret later. And that will just, just cause disharmony between us and somebody else. Just because we acted in our anger rather than in the truth. And so we don't want to be impulsive with our anger and we also don't want to be festering our anger we can sin impulsively on the one hand, but sinfully slow to resolve on the other because we want to fester with that. And we let the sun go down on our anger. Festering anger gives the devil the opportunity to get a foothold in our lives. Don't give an opportunity to the devil, it says in this version. To use the moment to cause us to fall for a temptation. That might be down the road even. Instead of seeking resolution, 
seeking that oneness to which we're called, we, we let the sun go down on our anger. And to let the sun go down on our anger can make so many other attitudes come to the forefront that are mentioned in this passage. It can cause bitterness to take root, which poisons the way that we look at people, even those closest to us. It can cause rage to build up because we either do not resolve an issue or we won't let it go. Just won't let it go. We like to hold on to it. And we build that issue with another issue and that matter with another matter. And one day we might find ourselves exploding in rage over some little thing. But that became the straw that broke the camel's back. Or because of bitterness and because we haven't resolved or reconciled or let it go, we may even find ways to make life miserable for people from a malicious heart. And then not only are we making, trying to make their life miserable, we are miserable. There's nothing kind, nothing tender-hearted from such an attitude. You might think it makes you tough. Might make it sound like make you feel like you're you're justified in it. But but where's the tender heart? And where's the kindness? I mean, that's what you're called to, not to be tough in that way. Well, it happens because in our anger we've sinned, and we fail to seek resolution and forgiveness, and reconciliation. Which, when we think about it, that's what we as Christians have received from God. At least we confess that, and we've, called, we've been called to reflect that. Resolution, forgiveness, reconciliation. But we gave the devil a foothold. And we let the sun go down on our anger, and have sinned in the process, which isn't fitting for somebody who's been recreated in Christ to do good works after the image of God and true holiness and righteousness. Fix it right away. Fix it right away. If it's important, says the Apostle, otherwise forget it. Fix it right away or forget it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The Apostle also points out that reflecting Christ is a matter of action, as well as attitude and speech, especially in the church. And he mentions three things, the ways in which that can happen. Working, giving, and forgiving. Working, giving, and forgiving. The Apostle says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. There again, there's that putting off the old, putting on the new. Don't steal, but labor. And share. We've been created in Christ as God's workmanship to do good works. And stealing doesn't fall into that good works category. But labor does. Because it leads to the proper way to receive. 
And that swings the door open to give generously, which is another reflection of the Lord. Stealing takes from others what is rightfully theirs before God, who has ultimately given what we all own, which we have to all remember, don't we? That we have what we have, not because, first of all, because you're so crafty and and you're so industrious and and you did everything right like you were supposed to do in, in, in getting what you wanted and you were a smart person. Now, now, we have to always remember, even though some of those things can be true, that God is the reason that we have what we have. He's the one who's ultimately given what we all own. Give us this day our daily bread. He's the one who gives it. And stealing is a form of falsehood. Stealing's a lie. We claim as ours what is not ours. We take what we haven't earned, what we have not worked for. We can do that in different ways, of course. We could steal off somebody's test, or we could... Uh, used to, they used to talk about pirating off the Internet. Right? Steal off the Internet. Steal by cutting corners. And acting as if we've done what we were called to do when we really haven't. Or stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Well, that sounds noble, doesn't it? but it presumes that the rich have received unjustly and that the poor deserve what the rich have. It presumes that. Now, maybe rich have received unjustly, but being rich doesn't make you automatically an unjust person. And the poor don't deserve just because they're poor. Stealing is contrary to the law of God where, where we're called to love God and neighbor because stealing is taking of what is not ours to receive while love is a call to reflect the God who gave what we did not deserve. Love's about giving and not about taking. And so when we labor, we reflect the God who labored to make us new in Christ. And and we in turn then have what we can give to others who legitimately have a need. Our calling and end in life is not about what we gain in this world for and by ourselves. For many, many people, that's what it is. I am here to get. And that's it. No, life isn't about that. Life isn't about what we gain in this world by ourselves. Life is about what we have gained in Christ by grace. And then reflecting his giving to us by giving as we have received. See, ultimately, life isn't about what we, we can get. And sometimes that's as far as we want to go. But it's about what we can give as those who know, who have been called to know, about what we have first been given by God. That he didn't spare his son, 
and that He graciously gives us along with Him all things. Reflecting isn't just about giving, but about forgiving. And forgiving, we talked a little bit about that already, but we know very clearly that we are children of the Heavenly Father in Christ. And the Apostle says to us that when forgiveness stands out among us, if that's what people know us about, with that tender and kind heart, it shows to the world that God has been at work in us, that the Holy Spirit has truly softened our hearts so that such fruitful action can be born from our lives. And so, again, if you're looking back at this and recognizing that what God wants to see happen here is a reflection of what he's already done for us in bringing harmony to us, in bringing reconciliation to us, in bringing resolution to us, if we want harmony in our homes and in our churches and in our marriages, it cannot happen, can it, when pardon cannot be found, if we are not willing to forgive. And like we have said before, we're not supposed to be wrestling with people. The Apostle says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood but with evil. There's peace when the, where the right is done. But when, it, when the wrong is done, and it's going to happen in your lives and in mine, you can still find peace. And you know why? It's when pardon and forgiveness prevail. When you recognize your own sin and you seek pardon, when you pardon people, mindful of how God has pardoned you, and especially when people come to you and seek your forgiveness, well, that's, that's how harmony can be maintained and promoted all your life. One last thing here is that we hear the calling not to grieve the Holy Spirit. A rebellious spirit by the people of Israel in the Old Testament days is what caused this grievance of the Holy Spirit. If you go back to Isaiah 63, verse 10. Sin is grievous. It doesn't bring any joy. People think so. But they're deceived. It brings no joy to hear of it among believers, and it brings no joy to the Holy Spirit either. And when we remember that the Holy Spirit seals us unto the day of redemption, which is what we hear early on in Ephesians, that's a comforting declaration, a declaration that should move us then to reflect the God who saved us. And not the world that will be condemned. So we don't want to grieve the Spirit, we want to please the Spirit within us. As part of that greater holy temple of the Lord, built together with the foundation of Christ, the chief cornerstone. The dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit, harmoniously built by the Spirit of God. We're going to grieve the Holy Spirit, we're going to grieve others when we're sinning. It's not the falsehood, it's not the malice, it's not the anger, it's not the stealing, it isn't the worldly speech or attitudes or actions that depict a renewed image of God 
in Christ or that is going to keep harmony. It just isn't. It's speech that's true and edifying. It's an attitude of tenderness and reconciliation. It's actions that are productive and generous and gracious that please the Holy Spirit of God and, and that reflect the recreative work of Christ and God's grace in us. And so if we wonder what it means to be reflections of God as Christians, to be reflections of Him and His Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, all we got to do is take a look at Ephesians 4, 25 to verse 2 of chapter 5. It's not the only place. But go there and you'll find it. You'll find a fine expression of it. Directing us in thought, word, and deed to be reflections of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's uh, respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray thanking you for your gospel truths that not only transform our lives, but transform them so that we might be reflections of those truths in our lives that build harmony and that build oneness, that show forth tender hearts and compassion, show forth forgiveness and grace, that in our thoughts and words and deeds, Father, we can be reflections of the one who brought us to harmony with you and be that much more harmonious with one another in Jesus, in our homes, churches, with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, and all the more. Thank you for these directions, Father, so that we can look in our own lives and say, are we reflections of Christ? Are we putting off what's old and putting on what's new? Uh, Lord, thank you for the revelation that helps us to gauge that in our own lives. And thank you for Jesus, who has accomplished all things for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.